morning, everybody. I would love to hear when the first time you heard about sex was. Actually, I might not want to hear this story, but just think about it for a moment. Uh, Mine was fourth grade. I got to bring home a book called Where Did I Come From? I was supposed to read this with my parents. Oh, yes, it's as bad as you think it is. And uh, it was written in sort of cartoon, really, really bad artistic font. And I remember about halfway through, I'm like, okay, okay, development, okay. And then there was the word, but, dot, dot, dot. And then it showed a man and a woman going up the stairs together. It takes a man and a woman to make a baby. That was the first thing I heard about sex. I skimmed the book, hid the piece of paper, actually tried to throw it away, and went back to school. And my parents, about a week or two later, said, hey, uh, we got a call from your teacher, and you were supposed to bring home this book, and we were supposed to read it together. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I I read it. I don't know where the paper went. Um, It was my first lie. Actually, probably not my first lie, but, and it was the first message I heard. Uh, I've heard from a few different people that have heard things like, it's really not a big deal. It is a big deal. You should wait for someone special. You should wait until you're married. It's good. It's bad. I wonder how many of us heard, it's holy, it's sacred, God designed it, he thinks it's great, and he is present every time you do it. Anyone? That's actually what the Bible does say about that. And it might seem weird. And yet, I think I'd rather take weird than trying to wade through the monsoon of murky waters around these topics of intimacy and love and sex and marriage. Because we're just confused in our understanding of this. We have gone from, in you know, 50 or 60 years ago, our, our messages about these topics were kind of presented on our black and white television. Some of you remember them, some of you don't. But um, on those TVs, they showed, you know, what a modern family looked like. They were basically all identical. They uh, did not have any divorce on there. Um, it wasn't an option. Adultery was for sure never mentioned. Sex was not discussed on these shows, at least openly. And if you were single, you were probably in the minority, And yet, on these black and white TVs, seemingly the views on these topics were the same whether it was inside the church or outside the church. Now today, our culture is still broadcasting. It's just not a black and white TV anymore. It's it's a bigger, brighter, bolder, more vivid message on a larger screen. We call it high definition. And now the pictures that we see um, are a little different. Do you know half the highest rated shows on television right now are, are all shows that have or revolve around unfaithfulness or adultery? Uh, I, Scandal, Homeland, Hostages, Breaking Bad, Orange is the New Black, Mad Men, The Good Wife, The Americans, House of Card. All of these shows lift up adultery as normal, and the people who are a part of those um, 
who have been cheated on can't help but cheat with someone else. And I didn't even mention, uh, not my two personal favorites, Trophy Wife and We Are Men. But you can imagine uh, what, what those shows are talking about. So here we have this being broadcast on the high-definition screen. But then we also have on the high-definition screen shows like TLC's 19 and Counting. Anyone a fan of 19 and Counting? You know, uh, Jim Bob and Michelle's family and their 19 kids. Mm -hmm. Now, first reaction, honestly, I just got to be honest. I'm I'm sure I'll take some hits for this. But anyone who has two three-letter first names, I normally laugh at and dismiss taking any advice from. But even, even NBC's Today Network says of Jim Bob and Michelle that they honestly seem to be quite in love with each other is pretty amazing for a reality show reality show but they honestly seem to be quite in love with each other and they know a thing or two about keeping the intimacy alive so here we have adultery nation you know just pick your network and then here we have 19 and counting this is what we're being broadcast in this monsoon of mixed messages no wonder the waters are pretty murky and and yet I I think the Bible is pretty clear that adultery and unfaithfulness poisons a relationship. We've been in a series called Poison and Wine where we're looking at the things, the kind of the top topics that damage or bring satisfaction to a relationship, especially to a marriage. And, And those are things that poison it. It's pretty clear. But I'm not so sure the idea of 19 and counting is the best way that we would find our enjoyment and our satisfaction in our relationships, especially in our marriages. So what are we to do? I mean, how do we go about really getting a clear understanding of what this is, whether or not we're married or we're in a relationship or we're single? How are we to think about this? And I didn't even ask, by the way, how many of us never heard anything from our families about sex. But there's a reality that there was a lot of us who experienced that. So what I think the Bible says, though, really clearly, is that there is a huge connection between sex and our soul. Jesus says to a group of people on on the hill when he's giving one of his talks that suppose you look at someone with lust in your heart it's the same as committing adultery with them. And if your eye that you looked at the person with causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. Better to have that one part of your body gone than for your whole soul to go to hell. See, Jesus says this is really strong, these connection between these two things. And some of us would say, oh, 50 or 60 years ago, it was so much clearer. I'd say, no. I think it appeared clearer because of what we were exposed to. But the fact is, for thousands of years, the church and the world have been really, really confused on this message. For fun, you can go to Matthew 19 later. It's a story in the Bible where a bunch of religious scholars question Jesus on divorce because the leading People of the day said, you could divorce for any reason, or you should only divorce in cases of adultery. And they say to Jesus, well, what do you think? And he says, no, no, no. Divorce was only an option because your hearts were hard. And then he goes on to say some crazy stuff that is really good. But the people were confused then. 
certainly, I think we could admit, we're confused today. And yet, the Bible does give us some very, very clear direction. And, and I think it's about our focus. So if you can open up your Bible, if you have one, or you can raise your hand and someone will bring you one. Um, we'll have them on the screen, but sometimes people like to read it. We're going to be in this, this letter to these people called the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I believe that we can get clear on this message by looking at or thinking about what we focus on. See, I think too many Christians are not experiencing amazing intimacy because they're focusing on the wrong bodies. And it's poisoning their relationships. And yet, we talk about wine in these relationships too. And there is this amazing satisfaction that can come from our relationships. And if we focus on the right body, we can achieve those. So 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to be starting in verse 12. It says this, Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Now, you know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it might be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse to stuff your body with food or just indulge it with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, you should honor him with the body. Now, God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave, and he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body, and you wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. It's as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. That kind of sex will only leave us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex will never help us become one. See, these people in this city called Corinth were really struggling with where they focused and which bodies they were focusing on. The first body they were focusing on was their own bodies. And when we focus on our own bodies to try and satisfy the needs of our body, we end up leading us to poison or damage in our relationships. The Corinthians had this saying, you eat to live and you live to eat, or food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. And it was this idea that that the body, our physical body and our spirit, was totally and completely separate. And, and the spirit was good and the body was bad, so, and it was all going to die anyway, so do whatever we want with the body because that's going to go away. And then, you know, focus on the spirit when you can focus on the spirit. It basically, or these people basically said, if it feels good, do it. You know, if you're hungry, eat. And so Paul is coming to them, this writer who writes this letter, and he's saying, you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And And he's saying, sometimes we focus on sex for procreation or for pleasure. And 
And that's okay, but that's only part of it. He's saying when we reduce it to that, it becomes poison. We're basically reducing it to this basic instinct. If we're hungry, we feed it. If we feel it, we should do it. I think Corinth was probably the city that actually was the first, not Vegas, to say what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. There was a lot of, there was a lot of crazy stuff that was going on in Corinth. Um, one of the things were that Corinth happened to be the hometown where the temple of the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite, was worshipped. And so there were a lot of female priests that worked the temple. And, right, and... <clears throat> And so this idea that, that sex was more of an instinct and not more was very common throughout this time. But if we think about why, why it's not just pleasure or why it's not just this function, it comes down to this idea of who, who, how are we made? Who are we? Are we animals? that just have instincts? Or are we humans? You know, animals do not rape, but humans do. Um, God created animals before humans. What the writer is trying to say is we are more than animals. We don't just pursue an instinct. We don't just follow that to completion. We don't just feed an appetite. We go above that. We pursue more than pleasure. Because what happens when we just pursue pleasure is we find in conversations that there's actually a lot of damage that comes in this area. This lady named Laura Sessions, she got married, Laura Sessions Step, wrote a book called Unhooked. She studied uh, high school girls and college girls, and it was this study of how the evolution of dating and intimacy have morphed over the years. And so she did, a, she did lots and lots of interviews. And she found, uh, the book came out about five or six years ago, I think, and she found that, that the views of young women have not only changed in the way they relate intimately to young men, but also in what they think about intimacy. Basically, the young women have morphed into what young men have thought for decades, unfortunately, that the freedom to hook up or unhook from people has given us maximum freedom. We can continue to be in control of those situations or we can live without consequences in those situations. And yet, as she has conversations with these girls, she finds them feeling unsatisfied and very disconnected. In fact, many of these girls said they felt dirty, they felt ashamed, and they felt worthless. But they continued to believe this idea that, that hooking up and unhooking would give this freedom. In a place that project that all the way out to uh, the red light district of Amsterdam, where there's all kinds of hooking up, hundreds if not thousands of interactions, and yet no connection, no true intimacy, and no real love. And, and when we do this, it just goes, usually, goes from satisfying a need 
to potentially becoming addicted to exploiting other humans. You might think, and you might have heard, well, it's just sex. That's what the Corinthians would say. But, but here's statistics today that every two minutes, a child is being prepared for sexual exploitation. That 1.2 million children are being trafficked every year. That's new children, not counting the millions that are already in those situations. The estimated value of this uh, horrific operation is $32 billion a year. And we think this is just happening overseas, but there's actually an estimated almost 300,000 American youth that are at risk of becoming victims of sexual exploitation. And the Mall of America is one of the top places to find this happening. In 2005 and 2006, because we think, well, that, you know, Rob, you're just presenting the really, really bad stuff. What about the things that that don't really hurt anyone? Um, You know, what if I just go to this website and look at this thing and I'm not hurting anyone? Well, those websites and this industry called pornography generated in 2005 and 2006, so quite a while ago, 12.6 and 13.3 billion dollars. Billion dollars each year. And I imagine it only gets higher since every 39 minutes there's a new video that's being produced by the American industry there. And every second, over $3,000 is being spent on porn. $3,000 every second. And it's reducing humans, I would say even below animals, because even animal rights activists have endangered species and try to protect. But who's trying to protect the image of God in humans? The answer is Jesus. So we can't just focus on meeting the needs of our body. And, and it's, it's connected to this idea, this reality, that God created us for intimate connection with other people. And so this idea to be intimate or be vulnerable or connect and know someone is tied to the way God created us. It's as essential as food and water and shelter is to our lives. And yet, because it's connected to our body and our soul, we get really confused about it. We can't focus just on meeting the needs of our body. It leads to damage. It leads to poison. But to the Corinthians, this writer is also saying, we also can't just deny our bodies. We can't focus on no body, if you will. The, the writers, again, saying, sex, uh, the spirit, spirit is good, body's bad, totally separate. And he says, no, 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 no. That you can't do that either. We can't just deny that we have these feelings. I mean, think about it scientifically. So let's go back to being a teenager. Some of us, that's not hard. Others of us, that's harder. Um, As a teenager, we're told in science class that, that physical and sexual attraction play a significant role in our mental and our emotional and our social lives. Okay, 
Well, think about being in school, and I, I remember sitting in geometry class and looking across the room, and supposedly the class was on angles and shapes and stuff, and it was, it just wasn't geometry. It was, it was attracted and focused on another person across the room. It was filling up my mind, this person that I wanted to, that I wanted to get to know or that I wanted to talk to or maybe that I wanted to um, be with in some way. And so... Like, somehow as a teenager, we can totally understand that. We use words like lovesick and heartbroken. And then all of a sudden, from our teen years, we become young adults. And as young adults, we become parents. And as parents, whether we're 25 or 55, somehow we develop Alzheimer's. And we forget that these are so connected. And so then we go, I don't know, I just, I just didn't think about it. Again, how many of us did not hear enough significantly from our parents in this area? Far too many of us. Far too many of us. And, and when we do that, what we're saying, whether on purpose or by accident, is that we're all just really like angels. Angels don't have a body, so let's just put that aside. It's all bad. It's all bad. Let's focus on angels. Let's focus on the spirit. Let's take the super spiritual approach. Now, now this act becomes dirty. It becomes wrong. It becomes something that you shouldn't find pleasure in. And, and God couldn't be present in that. And, and then we don't know how to talk about it and we start ignoring us. And then things become harder and harder and more confusing and more confusing. Then you have uh, a Christian man or a Christian woman who gets married who all their life is told, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then on their wedding night, they're supposed to be like, ah, it's good. And we wonder why we have problems. And, and Paul, this writer, verse 18, is saying, no, 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 these are totally connected. There's a sense, verse 18, in which sexual sins are different from the others because in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our bodies. And our bodies that were made in God's image and were given by God are the way that we can model God's love, becoming one with one another. That's what it says over and over in Scripture. That's what we've been talking about over and over in series. The marriage is a picture of two becoming one. And it's more than just the physical. It's the, it's the whole person. And he's saying, yes, but in that whole person, the body is a sacred part of that. Because God created the body. God, who loved us because of Jesus' death, life, and resurrection, puts his Holy Spirit in our bodies. That's what it means by your body is a temple of the Spirit. God dwells in our physical body. He's saying we can't deny our body. That's where God lives. That's how we express a large part of our spiritual life is through our body. We pray with someone or we look at someone or we reach out and we hold their hand or we hug them to comfort them, or we put our arm around them in a time of need. These are all physical expressions of God's love. And God gave us those desires, and they're good. But we're so, des- we're so confused in this topic that we think that denying it is the answer. And as Christians, when we say, oh no, just don't do it, it never goes well. 
like the church a thousand years ago actually issued an edict and they took the angel approach a little too far. They said, well, since Jesus died on a Friday, we shouldn't do that married thing on Friday, even if you're married. And since he was raised on Sunday, we shouldn't do it on Sunday. And you know, Thursday, he predicted his death on for Friday, so we shouldn't do it on Thursday. So not Thursday, Friday, or Sunday. Oh, and by the way, we shouldn't do it during Advent because, you know, that's the 40 days preparing for Christmas, so let's not do it then. Oh, and we shouldn't do it during Lent, which is in a couple weeks, because that's preparing for Easter, so don't do it then, and all of a sudden you start adding it up, it's like, like half the year's gone. Now some people might be going, yeah, that would be so nice to know that, hey, it's Thursday, stay away from me. I can, I can give someone a compliment and I don't have to think it's an advancement. Some of you might like that. Where others of you, just it adds so much, so much confusion. And so he says, no, we honor God with our bodies because they're connected to our soul, because God created them and Christ died for them. And since Christ was raised in a body we too will be redeemed in a body, not angels. We are not angels, nor are we animals. As Blaise Pascal once said, he says we're humans. And so for a human, this is what this means. When for, for people, it diverges. If you're married, if you're in a covenant relationship, he says, hey, even if you're struggling with this, it's good to be married Sexual drives are strong, it says in chapter 7, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. As long as that marriage is respectful, mutual, and seeks to satisfy rather than, than demand, marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether it's in bed or out. And so if you're going to abstain, just do it for a time of intense prayer, a time when you're really, truly seeking God, but then come back together so that you're not tempted. The fact is, this writer is saying to a people that are super confused in a highly, highly educated, in a highly, highly stratosphered, progressive, sexualized society, like we are, hey, the way you honor God with your body, if you're married is to come together. It's as effective as prayer. I don't think I'm stretching it when he says that. If you're married, if you're in this covenant relationship. But we know if we're married, and maybe we know even if we're not, that that this isn't one act that's totally separate from the rest of our lives. So if we're not feeling emotionally connected mentally connected, if we're not feeling like the other person has met our needs in any other way, then, then that is going to be affected. Now, what about if we're not married? Or what if we're not yet married? Or what if we were once married? Or what if we might never be married? Or what if we're happy being single? What if we're in that category? Paul says in chapter 7, regardless of if you're happy there or in any of those categories, he says, I wish all of you, he even says this to the married people, I wish all of you were like me. Paul wasn't married. Paul had had such a revelation and such a pursuit of Jesus and such an intimacy 
that he was fulfilled spiritually in ways that affected his whole, his whole being. Jesus was so intimate with the Father in prayer in his life that he wasn't married. And he's saying, I wish all of you were like that. And you might say, as I've said before, that's great if you have this gift of singleness. But what if you don't? Paul agrees. The writer says, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So in a world of dysfunction, he's like, hey, I'm going to tell you what God intended. If you're in a covenant relationship, this is how you honor each other, by participating. And if you're not, then you don't. But each of you has a gift, so I know it's hard. And he says later, like, better to be married than burn with lust. I mean, at least he's getting it. At least he's explaining the reality. And that's where we go if we don't take the angel approach of denying our bodies and we don't take the animal approach of just trying to focus on our bodies. Then he says, watch out. Burn with lust. This idea, watch out. If you don't have the gift, don't fall into trap number three and just focus on someone else's body. See, we do that when we start to believe that somehow that marriage will be the answer to our problems. Or, or sex will be the fulfillment of the missed opportunity. And we kind of glamorize it, and it happens all over television. We glamorize this. We, we get this idea that love will, will meet those needs. It's almost intoxicating. And we think things like, you know, these urges and these desires that I have, they'll be totally satisfied and totally fulfilled when I'm married. Or, you know, if this person just got me and we got each other and we could get married, then, then everything will be great. People who are married, you want to say amen to that one? <laughs> no, it's not true. No, because you probably, likely, married a human being who will make mistakes. My wife's most painful but, but redemptive comment was when she said, a few years into our marriage, I finally learned that you were just going to fail me and that Jesus would have to meet my needs. It was the most hurtful and yet the most beautiful thing she could say because it's true. Jesus is the only one that can fulfill our needs. When we think that, that some other person or some other thing will fulfill the desires of our heart, God says, in deep love, that's idolatry. That's worshiping some other person or some other thing. And so he says, don't glamorize it. Don't, don't put it into this category of idolatry because we can't just satisfy each other. We can't just think that this person is going to meet our needs. If we do, we're worshiping the wrong thing. And so he says to the people, Verse 18, flee from sex as a business or skin on skin or, or these unattached relationships. Flee from that because when we commit these kinds of acts, we feel separated because, because this sin, like no other, is connected to our body. 
and we leave feeling damaged, and we, we leave feeling worthless. And, and God says, I don't want that for you. The Holy Spirit lives in you when Jesus Christ purchased you. And so you're not your own. You are joined to God. You are bought with a price, which means that you are highly, highly valued. God desperately, unconditionally loves you. No matter what you've done or where you've been or how you've viewed this act or yourself, highly, highly, highly values you. Would pay the price over and over and over. And that's what we see throughout the Old Testament. God saying, I, had, I am your husband. I have married you. I'm in covenant relationship with you. I'm one with you. That's what the writer continues to say. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ in verse 15? So why should we take those and offer those to someone who sells sex as a business? No, we wouldn't be joined with them because that would join Christ with them. God can't be a part of that. But when we are, whoever is united in the Lord is one with him. God's saying, I'm married to you. I want to fulfill you. I want your needs to ultimately be met in this relationship. So that's the body we focus on. The one body in God. God fills this need for us. And if we don't have the gift of singleness, then God says, be married but find your ultimate and utter satisfaction in Jesus and enjoy your spouse. Enjoy him. You honor God when you come together. When you look at each other face to face, when you're totally vulnerable with each other in the vineyard as we've been talking about it the last several weeks, when there's nothing between you, God is honored. God goes, that's great. That's a great picture of my love, of how close I am. He wants that for every one of us. Now the reality is that I can tell you this and say this is why God says honor us with our bodies. Honor God with our bodies. But some of us, it's just too hard to hear. Some of us would say, wait, you don't know what I've done or you don't know where I was last night or you don't know where I went online last night. I, I got a call from someone this week who said, I, I can't come tomorrow. I can't look at you. Why not? Well, it started with a dating site because I was just feeling lonely and then it went to a not-so-good dating site and then it went to an encounter and then it went to this and I feel worthless and I feel like garbage and I can't see you. And, and I said to this person, what I'll say to you is, I wish you knew how much God valued you. How even if you feel damaged, God still says, no, you're made in my image. You're worth redeeming. You're worth accepting. I accept you. I love you. I want you to find your satisfaction in me, no matter how many times you've done this, no matter how much, what you've been through or what's been done to you or what you've done to yourself. I want you to know that I care and that I would do it all again. Please, please, please do not hear what the church has often said. Shame on you. Jesus says, 
over and over, I did not come to judge or condemn the world. I came to save it. So I think that means we've got to ask, what do we need to protect? What do we need to confess? And what do we need to celebrate? Because whether we're married or we're single, there are things that we've got to confess. There are situations and places we've been and sites we've gone to and things we've done that, that are in the dark, that have power because they're in the dark, because we haven't said them out loud. Even though God knows them, he wants us to agree with him that these things have contributed to us focusing on one of these three wrong bodies and not focused on him fulfilling us. So what do we need to confess? When we bring it into the light, It loses its power. Grace saves us and truth sets us free. And it says that love rejoices in the truth. So you will not hear shame, whether you confess it to someone in person or whether you confess it to someone, um, whether you confess it to God. But confess. What do you need to protect? If you're single, it means you need to protect what guardrails on your life so that you won't be damaged anymore, so that you won't hurt someone else. If you're married, it means you protect that one body, that one other human body that you can be with in a way that God, on, that God is pleased with. It means that you find some safe accountability, whether you're married or single, and you have conversations about how you can confess and protect and celebrate together. And then finally, what do you need to celebrate? If you're single, you can celebrate the fact that God has to come through in a very vivid, real, high-definition way to help you see that you are enough in him and he is enough in you. And if you're married, you have to do that as well. But then, God, what needs to change in my attitudes in my heart, in my soul, in my body, so that I can celebrate with this person that I've made a lifelong covenant commitment to. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. And it affects so much of our lives that we've got to talk about it. Do not be afraid to talk. What do you need to confess? What do you need to protect? What do you need to celebrate? Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word does say clearly that you did design sex and you designed love. You are love. You designed marriage. And God, you want us to find satisfaction in that relationship. But you warn us that we can only be fulfilled by you. And God, we have to confess that we've rebelled in so many ways, but definitely in this way of sex, we are so confused as a society about what it means to honor you with our bodies, God. Uh, Hear our prayers as we talk to you about that. God, would you protect us as a group and as individuals to seek you, to find our joy and our fulfillment in you. And God, would you help us to celebrate in ways that you would smile, in ways that wouldn't leave us feeling guilty or shame or heartache or pain. 